You're listening to Business Made Simple with Donald Miller, Kula Callahan, and Dr. J.J. Peterson. Today we're going to talk about creativity, how to get it back if you feel like you lost it. Today we interview a guy named Josh Linkner, and he talks about the loss of creativity in the workplace. He talks about how to brainstorm and bring back creativity. And he talks about what it costs us not to have creativity and what benefits us by inviting it into our workplace. And I loved the freaking interview. Man, you just, you can't put a price tag on creativity. You just can't. It's Josh Linkner's book is Big Little Breakthroughs. Here's my conversation with Josh. Josh, thanks for coming on. Truly a pleasure to be with you. There's got to be a backstory to a guy who writes a book about creative breakthroughs. And uh, I'm wondering what it is. I mean, I'm wondering, did somebody stifle your creativity early on? Or did you stifle somebody else's and feel guilty about it? Or what, you know, what, what motivates an entire book about the idea that anybody can be creative and have a massive breakthrough? <laughs> well, no stifling around us. Actually, I started my career as a jazz guitarist. Ah. I put myself through college playing music. And I've had the great privilege of starting, building, and selling five tech companies, and then investing in about a hundred other startups. And so I've just been super passionate around this notion of human creativity as a mechanism to drive meaningful results. And the reason I wrote the book is because I just feel like all of us are walking around with dormant creative capacity. And if we can unlock it, it just it's just going to change outcomes for us all, whether it's a business outcome or a personal outcome or anywhere in between. And the real notion here is to help everyday people become everyday innovators. I love it. Well, go back though. Where did you grow up or where were you playing guitar? Well, I grew up, I'm a hardcore Detroiter. I'm in Detroit today. I was born in the city of Detroit, not the suburbs. So I'm very passionate about Detroit. I, I played in every jazz bar in town growing up. But um, I originally, I went to the Berkeley College of Music in yeah, Boston, yeah, yeah. Uh, playing music. And then I ended up graduating from the University of Florida. Uh, so, but I, I was, I still today, I, I still play every week and I'm very passionate about the art form. How does your music inform your tech startup success? and book writing and all the rest of it. Have you have you done the Venn diagram to see where all that informed each other? I really have. And actually, I learned more from studying jazz than I've learned from studying business. And jazz, whether you like listening to it or not, is this sort of dangerous art form. Only 1% of the notes are on the written page. The rest, you improvise as you go. So you're basically creating art in front of a live audience and you can't hit read. You can't have a redo. And so as a result of that, though, it helps you get very comfortable not knowing that you're going to play things perfectly, quite the opposite. It's knowing that you're going to make mistakes, but that you have the ability to course correct. And the thing I love about jazz is it's really like this co-creation process. It's very much like a conversation between me and the other musicians and then also those in the audience where we're sort of trading the baton of leadership back and forth. Or you have to be a very good listener. You're playing a support role sometimes and you have to shine individually at other times. And if you really think about it, that's exactly what's happening in business today. Hmm. And so I think it's a wonderful metaphor. In fact, maybe 20 years ago, the metaphor of leadership was that of a of a classical conductor. One person, the CEO, he or she is standing in the center of the stage, no longer playing an instrument. And it's all about precision and accuracy and alignment. Play those darn notes exactly as they're written on the page. But today, in a rate of change like none other in history, coming out of the pandemic with complexity and technology, there are no written notes for us to play. In other words, we have to play jazz. And it's messy and it's a little bit dangerous, but but therein lies the beauty and therein lies the opportunity. Okay, I got a couple of questions for you on the jazz metaphor. But you know, you do believe there's bad jazz and good jazz. I know that's subjective, but how do you learn to play good jazz? And of course, that's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking the question, you know, in a brainstorm session when you're sitting around with a group of people that you work with, are there informal rules on coming up with good ideas? We're going to get to some really great five things that you do to stimulate creativity that's in your book, which is gold, by the way. 
But I'm curious, are there rules you just say, hey, you know, don't dominate the show, you know, whatever. What are the rules of, of brainstorming inside a, a corporation to, to help it grow? Yeah, it's a really thoughtful question because in jazz and in business and creativity, there are rules. They're, they're like scaffolding. And, and so if you bust those out, it really does sound pretty bad. There's, there's a jazz form called free jazz, which sounds like a train wreck. It sounds like the middle school kids practicing, <laughs> and I don't recommend it. But, but with a little bit of structure, actually, it enables creativity rather than restricts it. And, um, and you're exactly right, too, in the business world. You know, it's funny. We, we rely on outdated approaches. We rely on this, this notion that we should brainstorm. Brainstorming came out in the 1950s. And I'm sorry, man, like a lot has changed since 1958. And so the problem is we're still using this sort of outdated technique that's that's no longer effective. So that would be like you're, you're playing a chord or, or a scale in the wrong way. And we're using outdated technology to be like playing with an old rusty uh, uh, guitar instead of something that's more pristine. So in this book, Big Little Breakthroughs, I tried to give people not only the mindsets of everyday innovators, but the tactics and the habits so that normal people can, can get these skills, which we all have, by the way. We're all born with huge reservoirs of creativity. It helps people unlock them and put them into practice. Okay, you've got five of them that I want to hit in this book. You've got five ideas that are going to increase your creativity and hopefully make you some money. I go into a meeting, I think in the next week or two, with all my leadership, and we're going to talk about lead generators, and everybody's going to come to the table with some lead generators. I'm curious about how we can use some of these techniques in that meeting in order to, to come up with better lead generators. The first one is the bad idea brainstorm. Can you tell me more about the bad idea brainstorm? Yeah. So just real quickly, you know, most brainstorming sessions fail because of fear. So fear is that poisonous force that robs us of our best thinking. In other words, we share our safe ideas and we hold our big ideas back because we don't want to look foolish and we don't want to look embarrassed. And so it's a very unnatural structure where we're responsible for what we say. So we say only things that are safe. I, anyway, over the last 20 years, I've invented some, what I believe to be far better, more fun techniques to bring ideas to the surface. The bad idea brainstorm, instead of walking in thinking, oh man, I've got all this pressure. I better come up with a perfect idea or I'm going to be in trouble with my boss. It's a two-part brainstorm. Part one is you come up not with good ideas, with bad ones. What's the worst way you can solve it? What's a terrible idea? What's immoral and unethical and illegal? I mean, you're not going to do them. <laughs> you're just brainstorming. That's but you can always you can see how much that's going to set you free if totally. you lead with that. It just oh becomes fun. The whiteboards are filled with ideas. Everybody's having a great time. Then crucially, part two is that you you pause and look at examine those bad ideas and say, okay, is there a little nugget in there that I could do a legit flip that I could flip into something good? So obviously, I'm not encouraging people to do something bad, but by pushing your creativity all the way to the edge, and then yeah, you have to ratchet it back. It's a better approach than 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 succumbing to the gravitational force of incrementalism. And then this is a fantastic one. Uh, sometimes I play a game when I'm writing. I say, what if? You know, what if the character, you know, gets hit by a meteor? What if, whatever, you know, and that can stimulate and help you overcome a little bit of writer's block. You, you do a twist on this called the world's first. And so explain the brainstorm idea where you start with the world's first. Yeah, again, picture a typical corporate brainstorming session and someone's got some bold idea, but there's no way they're going to share it because, you know, Jim, the boss is in the room and he's got a hot temper. And so the world's first is just a little twist on a brainstorm. People only can share ideas that begin with that word, that phrase, the world's first. What if we had the world's first um, lead gen mechanism that was tied to ice cream? What if we had the world's first <laughs> sales approach that we didn't use outbound marketing at all? I mean, so so the notion is it challenges you to think about way far afield from, from the norm. And again, you may need to sand and polish it back a little bit later on, but it just pushes the creative boundaries. Brilliant. All right. Role storming. 
Role storming, brainstorming as if you are someone else. Another brilliant idea. This one may be my all-time favorite. So again, when we share an idea in a normal brainstorm session, we're responsible for it. And we're thinking in our mind, what if, I, what if the idea fails? What, if, what does this mean for my career? So we, we tend to freeze up. Role storming solves it. Role storming is brainstorming in character. In other words, you're, you're, you're role storming as if you are somebody else, still taking on an actual real world problem. So here's an example. Let's say in Jenny in, in a normal brainstorm would, would freeze up, but Jenny now is playing the role of Steve Jobs. Well, no one's going to laugh at Steve for coming up with a big idea. They might laugh at Steve for coming up with a small idea. So Jenny right. is now liberated. She can say anything she wants, no fear of retribution. Anyway, the technique is really simple. You pick anyone you want to be. You can be uh, a sports figure. You can be a literary hero. You can be a, a, a super hero. You can be a villain. You know, you could be a movie star, a supermodel. You could be a four-year-old kid or, or someone from 200 years in the future. And so you take on that role, try to act out and stay in character, and you'll be blown away at the creativity that surfaces. I can't wait to put these into practice. All right. The judo flip. List out traditional ways to tackle the challenge you are facing, then confront the challenge with the polar opposite approach. All right. Explain that to us. Yeah. So again, what we generally do in our mind is we have this little file that says, what if, what's worked before? What does conventional wisdom dictate? And maybe I'll just try something like that. And this helps you get away from it. So basically judo flipping, another one of my favorite techniques is you, you kind of take an inventory, whether in your mind or ideally, if you write it down, how have we solved this problem before? What's the conventional approach? What do most people in my field do? And then you draw a line down the page and ask yourself, what's the polar opposite? What would it look like if you judo flipped it? And just by challenging yourself and your team to think in that oppositional manner, it unlocks all kinds of fresh ideas. Oh, wonderful. Can you give me an example? I mean, you, you've bought and sold 100 companies or so. You've started your own companies. Can you give me an example of setting a team free to be creative and what they came up with that ended up working really well? Oh, yeah. I mean, bunch of examples. So I built a company called ePrize, a decent sized technology company. And, um, you know, 500 people, we work with 74 of the top 100 brands. And one thing that we did is, so normally if you were going to have a user conference, it's, you know, it's for your own customers, but it doesn't have any credibility. It's like a sales meeting. So we judo flipped that and said, what if we could create like the industry conference and we actually invited our competition. And so you'd say, why would you invite your competition? That's, they're going to prey on your, your clients. And we said, no, no, if we invite our competition, that's going to legitimize the conference. So they couldn't not come. So our, our comp competitors came begrudgingly. We overcharged them to come and they were sitting next <laughs> to our clients, but what are they going to say? Hey, we're less innovative. We're number two. So it actually validated our approach by having our competition sit right next to our clients. Um, I did a bunch of stuff like that. One time, actually back to role storming, we were trying to win a new piece of business and it, it, it was being judged based on the ideas that we generated. It was a competitive shootout. And frankly, the ideas we were coming up with were pretty mediocre until we role stormed and we role stormed that one, we were playing the role of the characters in that TV show, Mad Men, which was a period <laughs> piece from the sixties or whatever. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, one of us pretends we're Don Draper, the other one's Peggy Olson, and we're you know pretending we're smoking cigarettes and drinking scotch. Anyway, the, the ideas that we came up with from that session, along with some props, allowed us to win a $2 million account. So that 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 oppositional- You had props. You took this. Oh, you yeah, had props. Yeah, we had props. Absolutely. Gosh, I love it. All right. Speaking for a friend, he feels like, no, all the, all the best ideas are mine. The, the team doesn't really come up with good ideas. Uh, you know, we'll call the guy Ronald. Ronald feels this way about his team and his company. Uh, what do you say to a guy who's like not really open to the team being creative? Yeah. So I would say Ronald, 
Um, first of all, the research is crystal clear that all human beings are creative. There's no such thing as like, oh, I hire more creative people or the creative sit on the second floor. All human beings are creative, but, but we can be creative in our own ways. Like I play jazz guitar pretty well. I can't draw a stick figure if I tried. So we, again, we can all express creativity. So first, Ronald, we need to recognize that every person on your team is inherently creative. And so if it's not coming forward, perhaps we should look in the mirror. No, not trying to be mean to Ronald, but like it, it could be a challenge that you're creating as the leader. The biggest thing, again, is fear. So fear and creativity cannot coexist. So Ronald, if you're creating an environment that is fear-based, that, that people are penalized when their ideas aren't perfect, if you say, give me ideas and, and you don't like one, and then you send someone to corporate timeout, you know, they're never going to bring another idea forward again. And so in the same way that a greenhouse creates optimal conditions for plants to grow, I would say, Ronald, one of our core responsibilities as a leader is to create optimal conditions where creativity can flourish. And that's done through rituals and rewards and habits. And I can give a bunch of fun examples of those things. I love it. Well, I, I only say that, Josh, because I used to be Ronald until my team started coming to me with ideas. And I'm like, oh, that's I didn't know you had that. That's really good. And now we try to run with them. Can I just share real quickly? Like, So I interviewed CEOs, billionaires, celebrity entrepreneurs, Grammy award-winning musicians, but probably more fun. I interviewed a lot of normal people that are just not, you know, billionaires, hoodie wearing dudes, but they're, they're normal people. And which I love because it's much more inspiring when you see someone who looks and feels like us, that's actually doing a great stuff. So one of the people I interviewed uh, is a gentleman who runs a nonprofit in London named Trowin Resterick, super cool guy. Anyway, I was asking him, how does he keep his team creative? It's the Ronald problem. And he said, you know, I, I want them to know that creativity is part of the job, that that's part of the gig, and that we're going to have to make some mistakes in order to unlock great ideas. We're going to have to tolerate some bad ones. So he has a ritual every Friday. He calls it F up Fridays. I mean, he says the whole word. I'll just be PG for today. But sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. F up Fridays. He brings his whole team together. It's like 50 some people. They hold a big brown bag lunch and they literally go around the room person by person. Each person stands up and proudly shares what they effed up that week and what they learned from it. And when they get to somebody that didn't F something up that week, they're, they're like, well, why not? What are you going to try next week? So just think about the message that that sends deep into the DNA of this company. Oh, huge. I mean, it's per yeah, it's permission to, to fail. Um, I, I, let me ask you this though, cause I think there are probably some listeners who are, or I'm, I'm asking this question. Uh, what happens when you got a team of people that you really like, everybody's being super creative and they start running with an idea that you see serious flaws with that you say, okay, that's going to bloat overhead. And I just don't believe our customers are going to want that. How do you, without crushing somebody's spirit, say, you guys, I don't think that will work and are becoming the, the negative dude who squashes creativity. Yeah. So in the back half of the book, I covered the eight core obsessions of everyday innovators. And one of those obsessions is called open a test kitchen, which is that you've probably seen food companies or restaurants might have a test kitchen. In other words, if they're trying out new dishes, they don't test it out on a busy Saturday night dinner crowd. They test it out in a safe, separate environment. So the key thing that we can do in this example is to de-risk the creative process rather than blasting out global wide sweeping change with irresponsible levels of risk. It's all about testing. It's all about building prototypes and experiments and testing in small, small ways. Fix time, fix money. I mean, like, can we test this idea with 30 bucks and 15 minutes? Right. And so then you let the data decide. In other words, it's not the, either the CEO saying, we're doing this, bet the farm, or is it, is it a team member at the chagrin of the CEO? It's, it's like, let's celebrate a bunch of ideas. Let's examine them. Let's see which ones merit further exploration and let's test the heck out of them. So we might test five or six ideas instead of with your entire customer base. How about with one customer on a Tuesday afternoon for 15 minutes and get the results of that data and then decide, do you expand the size? of the test or do you remove it?
And that way, no one has to feel good or bad. It's just let, let the data decide, let the experiments dictate what you should continue to double down on and what you should let go of. Josh, we've got one left that I want to talk about, and it's option X. Whatever decisions we make, we quickly narrow the field of choice. We tend to think option A, B, or C. We focus on option X, though, that are bold, provocative, unexpected, and bizarre that could actually be your game-changing strategy. Tell us about option X. Yeah. So again, we tend to gravitate toward the tried and true. And option X is challenging yourself to look for that unexpected, weird, oddball idea. And let me just give you a couple of really quick examples because I think it's more clear. There was a small town in Iceland that was facing a problem where, where traffic incidents involving pedestrians were up 41% over the last decade. So with the obvious approach, hire more cops, put in expensive traffic lights, issue more fines. Or the weird approach, the option X approach, they painted the crosswalk like a 3D optical illusion. I saw that. So as drivers walk up, they, the people, like they, these slabs look like they're floating three feet in the air and nobody barrels through the intersection. Just one other quick one. Let's say you're a restaurant. I know you have a lot of small business listeners. How do you stand out? All restaurants make these exaggerated, boastful claims like world's best pizza or, or New York City's number one cup of coffee. An option X approach happened with a small Chinese restaurant in Montreal, where the owner of the restaurant on the menu printed and online writes next to every item owner's comments, which are brutally honest and hysterically funny. Like one of them is like, this dish compared to our general so's chicken just is not that good. <laughs> Another one is because of this dish, I gained at least five pounds. So what kind of owner like criticizes his own food on his own menu? And yet here we are talking about that restaurant today. So option X is pushing yourself to find those odd ball, unorthodox ideas, because those can make all the difference in the world. Josh, I love it. Where can they find out more about you, though? Yeah, I would really encourage people to go to biglittlebreakthroughs.com. You can learn all about me, but even if you don't buy the book, there's a free creativity assessment. There's a quick start guide. There's all these downloadable worksheets and tools. So I really hope it's a reservoir for us all to, to become uh, more creative. And fun fact, if you do buy the audio book, I actually play a little jazz guitar in between every chapter. So it's kind of fun. The book is called Big Little Breakthroughs. It's out on Amazon or wherever you buy books now. Listen, one great idea can make or save you millions of dollars uh, man, you just, you can't put a price tag on creativity. You just can't. Hey, it's Dr. JJ Peterson here, and I am joined by my co-host of the Marketing Made Simple podcast, April Sunshine Hawkins. Hello. April, welcome to the Business Made Simple podcast. Thank you. We have decided to take over this mm -hmm. part of the podcast because Dawn is on paternity leave. That's right. And another reason why I wanted you to be a part of this conversation is when I listened to this interview, mm -hmm. it really reminded me of improv comedy. And you and I both have a background in improv. Mm -hmm. Yes. And an improv is really brainstorming on the spot, right? <laughs> on the fly, ready to go. Yeah. It is so difficult to yeah, do. Yeah, it is. And there are some rules to it, though, mm -hmm. right? In mm -hmm. the same way that they talked about different ways to approach brainstorming, yeah. there are actually ways to approach improv comedy, and there are rules. You know, the most famous one is yes and. That's right. right. That when anybody gives you a suggestion, you say yes and. But one of the lesser known rules is that you need to have a point of view, right? And that means that like, if somebody goes, hey, where are you going? You don't say, I don't know. 
<laughs> um, you tell me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kills the scene, right? But really, you need to come with an idea. And that idea is going to take us somewhere. We don't know where it's going to go, but that just coming up with that first idea, having a point of view takes us somewhere. It may not be the end destination. Mm -hmm. We may go off on a whole other tangent, but we need to start moving forward and going somewhere. And we do uh, marketing live streams, right? We actually have one coming up mm -hmm. July 19th and 20th that we help people clarify their message through a tool we use called the brand script. It helps you create clear messaging through story. And while I'm teaching that workshop, I actually have people brainstorm. I make them pause. Yes. And I say, I need you to take five minutes of silence. Mm -hmm. I don't want them talking to anybody else because I want their brains to go. And a lot of times I will say, I need you to give me eight options. Not two, not one, eight options. It's so important, and it takes us places we never knew we could go. So thank you to Josh and Don for this conversation, because I really think that it gave some practical tools of how to brainstorm, how to get new ideas that can take you someplace. So many people come to the live stream, and they are overwhelmed, and they have been up in their head trying yeah. to figure out all of these pieces on their own. Yeah. And so when you go get to the brainstorming part, they're like, yeah, I've already thought about this, JJ, but, but you're giving them time to specifically think about it. And then they get coaching yeah. with a guide, somebody who is actually going to yes and them to drill down <laughs> yes. and figure out what it is that they're trying to say. Yes. And one of the things we say is there's no bubble bursting and brainstorming, right? Mm. You don't have to be afraid of like throwing ideas out there. That's why I say, give me eight to 10 ideas. They're not all going to be winners, but that's okay. It might lead us to something that's else. Right. And a coach is going to help you refine that at the live stream. Right. So you're not just throwing everything out there and going, we'll use it all. No, no, no. You go big and then all of a sudden your coach helps you refine it down. And that's really the power of brainstorming yes. and really the power of that live stream. That's yes. what I love about it. And so if you're interested in clarifying your message and brainstorming new language that you can use in your marketing so that it works, then go to storybrand.com and sign up for the next live stream coming up July 19th and 20th, where you can brainstorm your message with a coach who's going to help you clarify your message and create marketing that's easy and it works. I love that conversation with Josh. I am learning just as a as an entrepreneur and a guy whose company has grown uh, how to involve other people in decision making, and not only that, let people run without being micromanaged and let them let them move on. I, I confess, you know, as a guy who spent twenty years sitting alone in his boxer shorts writing books for people who sit alone in their their underwear to read them, I didn't have a lot of human interaction. And now there's a staff of thirty that I work with every day. And I'm one of the guys who wants to micromanage things and control things. And no idea can be good unless it's mine. And and uh, I was that guy. I'm slowly not becoming that guy. If you are that person, I got some encouragement for you. I mean, it is on a weekly basis now that somebody on my team has done something that I never knew about that is growing the company. And it's it's a big paradigm shift for me. And I think it is for most entrepreneurs who are self-starters that as you scale, you have to let go of control. And if you learn to let go of control, two competent people, don't get me wrong, you make more money. Your, your company will grow. There's something to trusting people and trusting that everybody has a unique genius that they can bring to the table. 
and helping them figure out what that is and helping them contribute. It's all about contribution. And if we are the ones uh, just micromanaging folks and they're the ones executing it, we are extremely limited. You can either have control or growth. That's what Tim Schurer, my COO, once said to me and somebody said it to him. You can either have control or growth. You can't have both. And some people just need control. I talk to people all the time who are just like, well, I, you know, I had a staff and I got rid of them and now I'm just me and my, my virtual assistant. And what I hear them saying is uh, I couldn't stop controlling. But if you really want to impact the world, you can't do it alone. You've got to have some people doing it with you. And, and uh, I hope today's interview was incredibly insightful and inspirational. It's going to, you know, there's some bumps in the road. It's going to take a little bit to figure out how you can involve more people and trust them. But that's a, a, an uncomfortable place you want to go because you'll stretch yourself as much as you allow them opportunity to contribute. And ultimately, that's what it costs to grow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Business Made Simple. Until next week, here's to growing your business. It can seem like the whole job of an entrepreneur is to worry, which is why the Business Made Simple podcast is here for you every week, taking the mystery out of growing your business. So if you got something out of today's episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Then go to businessmadesimple.com to see how our on-demand courses and live coaching events can give you the practical skills you need so you won't just sound like you understand business. You will actually know how a business works and how to grow it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.